Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. In hockey years, Shea Weber is considered ridiculously old by now. And in actual human years, Evan is ancient. So happy birthday, you old bastard. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I feel I don't feel older. I just feel sore. That's how I've explained it so far. Synonyms, really. Yeah. Uh, on brand, Evan showing up right in the face because you spent most of your weekend staring directly at the stun, the stun, the sun, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. We spent 95% of yesterday in the sun baking and wake surfing because our friend's dad got a new toy. Oh, man. Friends, rich parents are really what make your summers worth it. Yes, very much so. Well, just a problem uh, for us because Evan is our rich friend. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot afford a cottage. I will say that much from what I've learned this past weekend. Yeah, it's because you bought into the Kitchener housing market. You're going to be bankrupt for the next 20 years. (laughs) That's the plan. Yeah. Uh, Happy birthday, Evan. And if you're ever supremely annoyed by me and the amount of asks I make of you before we start each episode, just remember, uh, I remembered your birthdays and your birthday and not Brad's. So all on my own, too. Did you remember his birthday or did you see my post in the group chat first? I actually no 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 I had it in my calendar. I had I have evidence in my calendar. <laughs> and then I saw that you beat me to it because you wake up at a time that a person with kids wakes up. So you know That's pretty much a synopsis for the entire podcast right there. Essentially, yeah. Um congratulations on moving on to the uh pseudo conference finals, Shea Weber. The rebirth of the Shea Weber bit thanks to our interview with Ken Daniels, has been a hysterical <laughs> full circle for this podcast. I still can't believe he said it or it, thought it, it. It's not even just that he said it. He interrupted himself mid-answer to point it out. He was giving a really poignant, entertaining answer about sleeping, uh, living his dream, listening to Foster Hewitt going to sleep, and then just stopped and said, wow, Evan looks like Shea Weber. <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah, I... Tried to keep myself reasonably composed because I didn't want to like do a full on ugly laugh in front of Ken Daniels, but it was hard. Yeah, the messages in the group chat immediately were, you know, (laughs) much more representative (laughs) about how much we were freaking out. Uh, Anyhow, I'm sure we have a lot of new listeners right now based on the response to that uh, episode. So for all of you new listeners and returning listeners, welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. And Evan is turning 30, 70, 80, 90 years old today. Yes, actually, to all the above. Yeah. Um, if for those of you who have missed it, our last episode is just a full hour and a half virtually uncut interview with Ken Daniels. Um, we want to thank everyone for your incredible, incredible response to that. Obviously, Ken was a phenomenal interview guest to have. We mean it when we say we can't wait to have him on again and, and work with him in the future. But uh, Ken gave us insights we could never have hoped for or dreamed for about the Jamie Daniels Foundation, his time as a, as an announcer, inside stories about the Red Wings, about Mickey Redmond. It was, you know, we've had all we've been fortunate to do a lot of really cool interviews on this show, and and that was as a lot of you have pointed out, uh, one of our best, if not the best, that we've ever you know been lucky enough to do. So. Uh, 
our previous episode, Ken Daniels, the interview, please go listen to it. And on that note, I do um, want to take this chance to call out you know, the, the primary reason why we had Ken on the show, which was the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, the more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initi- initiative and was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and support the Jamie Daniels Foundation, visit at jamiedanielsfoundation.org. Again, thank you, Ken, for coming on the show. It's good we had Ken on, beyond the obvious reasons of having Ken Daniels on here, but really getting in the weeds on the Jamie Daniels Foundation and everything that goes on behind it and the reasons. So now when we do these little readouts for the Jamie Daniels Foundation at the beginning of every episode, there is a lot more context behind it that hopefully now everybody understands. We're not just reading that out for the sake of reading that out like no we are supporting them for a reason so yeah you know the the whole story behind it really does give a lot more to that one little readout we do every episode uh and as we hinted at the uh during the interview there's going to be a lot more to come uh regarding that partnership which we're um, excited to get to later this summer uh the most prevalent um (laughs) some of the most prevalent we feedback feedback we got was centered around Evan. First, they were excited that uh, Ken recognizes that Evan looked exactly like Shea Weber. And the second was where people saying, we've never seen Evan so excited and entertained and tuned into an interview. And all we have to do is have an A plus premier all-star guest on to get you uh, to get you going, Evan. Yes. Yeah, so also, what time did we start that interview at? Like 6.30. Yeah. So way earlier in the day and also way earlier in the week. Hey, I'll pose this to you now, Evan. If you want to move your golf sessions, I'll start at 6.30 every time. Well, Wednesday doesn't really work. <laughs> and we all know why. Uh, because yeah, I have to yeah, go yeah. be terrible on men's league and be the worst player on my team. But, uh, yeah. Hey, you're going to uh, have to give me some tips this week because I'm, I'm getting out for a round for the first time this year on Saturday. So, well, I don't know if I can help you because I can't help myself. You're a lefty, so I'll just uh, hit it the opposite way you do. Okay. Your uh, your slice will be the opposite of my slice, and thus balance will come to the world. Let's jump into hockey here. Uh, to cover on this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we'll be doing a little bit of on this day um, lined up for this episode. Uh, we'll be chatting about Detroit's second first-round pick and its final spot uh, and some little cap news for Detroit, a little tidbit of information that came up. Uh, we'll be recapping the recently completed playoff rounds before the what's equivalent to the the conference finals. Uh, some updates regarding draft eligible players in this upcoming draft, staying in, at the University of Michigan most likely. Before doubling up on our draft profiles, as we missed one last episode, want to make sure we get these out for you before the draft and jumping into overtime. All right. On this day in 2002, it's already been 19 years, the Detroit Red Wings. Yeah. Yeah. Nearly 20 years ago, the Detroit Red Wings lifted the Stanley Cup with what I genuinely believe to be the greatest team ever assembled in the NHL. I know there's a lot of good teams that could contend with that. There's some Islanders teams, some Oilers teams that are up there for sure. I think probably a couple of Habs teams as well. But man, yeah. 
nine Hall of Famers, 10 once Pav is in, 11 if you count Scotty Bowman, not to mention Ken Holland and, and other builders. Like it's that that team, you'll never see it again because of the, the, the salary cap, probably for good reason. Like it's one thing with the with the 80s Oilers, you they get the argument of we had the greatest player of all time. Um, the Montreal Canadiens obviously had loads of great players, but but that 2002 Red Wings could probably lay claim to the greatest goalie of all time, the second greatest at worst defenseman of all time, a top 10 forward player of all time, and then seven other Hall of Famers. Like It's just, it's comical. Yeah, you had a mix of like prime players who are going to be Hall of Famers to like players who are legitimately at, at the tail end of their careers, but not like bums, like they were contributing. These players were still very effective players. You had Luke Robitaille as like the fourth line left wing at some point. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Shanahan is my favorite player of all time. I, I, a lot of you will know that I've loved him. I loved watching him as a kid. He he will always be my my all time favorite Red Wing, all time favorite player. And whenever you look into greatest left wingers of all time arguments, Shanahan's up there, but he's not you know the best. You're gonna look at players. I mean Ovechkin now. Um, you know Luke Robitaille's up there. And as a kid, I was like, oh man, like Luke Robitaille's always considered better. I think Shanahan can pass him. What did I care? They were both on the same team in 2002. <laughs> like, what does it matter? The Sh- only thing- Shaney played higher in the lineup. That was your argument. <laughs> yeah, for real. The only thing uh, that could have made that team better is if Henrik Zetterberg started playing a year sooner because he started his rookie season the next year. Red Wings fans, man, you know, it's it's days like that where you look back and you're like, oh, yeah, we were spoiled. Yeah, they, they didn't play that year. But then you factor in that at that point, Zetterberg and Cronwall were in the organization. <laughs> I always forget that Sean Avery was on that team. Oh yeah, I'll never they forget. Didn't really uh, play, but he was he was he was a thing. It was, it was against Colorado where Sean Avery uh, started to stand up and chirp at Joe Sackick, and Brett Hall grabbed him by the back of his jersey, sat him down, and I can't remember what his exact words were, but he says, "You uh, you don't disrespect Mister Sackick like that." Something no, it to was, that effect. It was you do not get to talk to Mister Sackick. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were early Sean Avery days. That was before he evolved into his final form, which I still don't think he's reached based on his <laughs> online presence. He's defending the bike lanes in New York City now. He's a real yeah. he- the hero of the people. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, some more present news. Pick 23. 23rd overall, which is, in effect, the 22nd player to be picked. That is where Detroit's second first-round pick is going to be based on who made the conference finals um incredible scenario for detroit so we may may have talked about this last episode but yeah brad like you mentioned for naming purposes it's the 23rd overall pick but in terms of what players detroit's picking they get the sixth player and the 22nd player off the board the truly remarkable thing is the 22nd pick is the highest it could have been like it was only the west division that did not go in a that did not end in a fashion that was favorable to that pick. Yeah, because Colorado wasn't going to lose the first round. and Yeah. Like, because Vegas and Colorado finished ahead, so it, it didn't make a difference between them who won. So we knew that series meant nothing in terms of the pick, and every other series went 
in the Red Wings' favor. Just crazy odds. Um, man, <laughs> I was there. Dimitri messaged me. It's like just toying around instead of making the pick, whether you can trade that pick for another like young, very capable player right now. And just seeing the things that Steve Eisman can turn the Anthony Mantha trade into. It, it, other GMs really shouldn't pick up the phone when he calls. They really, really shouldn't. Yeah. What was our argument for when we had Ken Holland? To be a good GM in the NHL, all you have to do is call the bad GMs a lot. Um that doesn't really apply to Steve Eiserman because I, the Capitals are not a poorly run team. So, you know, it's not like he just called up and ripped off Jim Benning or, you know, Pierre Dorian. Like, that was impressive. <laughs> and just moving on to some other little tidbits of news um, contracts coming off the books. This I can't remember who tweeted it out. It was one of the TSN guys. But Stephen Weiss uh, is not going to be paid out any longer of his $1.67 million a year for the buyout. This is this was his last season. So once the season ends, Stephen Weiss is no longer on the Red Wings book. Books, we should say, um, five more seasons after this one of Justin Ablocator's contract. Uh, Henrik Zetterberg's contract also comes off the books. So that frees up some LTIR space. Um, And for what it's worth, I think, (laughs) I mean, technically speaking, David Savard, because they they retained a little bit on his contract there. So that doesn't actually make a difference, but just to talk about contracts that come off the books. But yeah, uh, Weiss and Zetterberg, you lose Weiss eh, in the history, because I always think of Nielsen, I think of Ablocator, I think of those contracts. You forget how long ago Weiss was actually bought out. It's funny looking back at it, because I'm, I may not be remembering this exactly right, but it was in the minds of Red Wings fans at the time. We found out later it wasn't it wasn't true, but it was they could have Philpola or they could have Weiss, but they couldn't afford both, so they had to pick and choose. And we ended up with Weiss. And when Weiss is coming off the books, is the same time Philpola is coming off the books from an entirely different contract. Now we found out later Philpola sounds like he wanted to leave, so it wasn't really a choice. But it's just hindsight being 2020, it's funny to think about. Yeah, similar money, right? And and they signed Weiss off the heels of 2013, which I mean Red Wings fans will remember as a pretty devastating playoff run because they lost to the Chicago team that ended up winning the cup even after being up 3-1 in the series. That was when Danny DeKaiser broke his thumb. Ah, man. Who was it that took that slap shot? That was Seabrook from the point to win the series or something to that effect. Yeah, that one hurt. So there was still a lot of high being ridden. Um, and Babcock actually was the one who really pushed for Weiss. He he was a big Weiss, Weiss stand. So uh, that was a big draw into bringing in that free agent. Funny how. Thanks, hell. Babs. <laughs> Is that Anyhow. because Stephen Weiss is a good old Ontario boy? He was, eh? He he was he had that like coach's pedigree. Every like every coach wanted Stephen Weiss to play for him. I think Babcock and Weiss are missing the same teeth, so they had that connection. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into some playoff talk here. Um there've been some series to wrap up and I think we have to start with the obvious. The Montreal Canadiens have done it again. They have swept the Winnipeg Jets. I don't care how they look on paper. I don't care what kind of system they coach. 
nobody can call these Montreal Canadiens bad. They have found a way to come together and be greater than the sum of their parts. They are playing and at the risk of being very hockey man talking head, you know, meaningless quips, they are playing playoff hockey right now. And they are, it's paying dividends. They have won how many, three, seven straight games, is it? Heading into this series against uh, against uh, Vegas, I should say. Good for them. Yeah, because they were down 3-1 to Toronto and then yep. won three straight and then they swept Winnipeg. So there's seven. Yep. Credit to Ducharme. Honestly, honestly, like it's crazy. I'm, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here, but Carey Price, we we really, and I'm bad for this personally, we really need to stop talking about his decline because I think he's just bored in the regular season at this point. He's LeBron. He coasts yeah. into the playoffs. Yeah, he's like, oh, time to go. Sure, I got this. They play a really sound fundamental game from a Red Wings standpoint. For everybody who argues in favor of Jeff Blashill, this is your argument. I am literally telling you how to argue against me. Montreal has the exact same mindset. They don't generate a lot of offense. They don't really score. They don't have a lot of offensive talent. They play a very low event, boring, uh, but effective defensive style. Now, they do push the pace more than the Red Wings do, but that's likely more to do with talent. So if you want to see a path to how the Red Wings could be successful, this is it. My turn argument is this is not sustainable for Montreal, but it is. this is your best argument right now. Um, now to take away from Montreal is they have had a lot of luck in these playoffs. They've won a lot of overtime games, which overtime games are always a coin flip. They beat Montreal, uh, they beat Toronto in the key games and Toronto was missing Tavares and Muzzin. The Jets were missing their best player in Shifley for three quarters of that series, the last three games of that series. So Montreal has run into a lot of luck in these playoffs. There's no way around that. But every team that wins the Stanley Cup has a fair amount of luck to get there. So you can't really take all that much to them. The stars aligned for them to capitalize, and they have. Because the stars have aligned for other teams in the path and in the past, and they've still shitted away. Montreal hasn't done that. So like you still have to give them full credit for where they are. Again, I still think they're gonna get absolutely walked by Vegas, but I thought they were gonna get walked by Winnipeg and Toronto. So who the hell knows? I am hardly being funny here when I say I'm fully expecting Islanders Canadians. And I kind of want it, honestly. I I wouldn't have said that before I saw Vegas's annoying-ass tweet where they were like, hey, Preds, is this worth hanging a banner? And it's like, hey, buddy, the Preds have nothing to do with this. I'm all for dunking on the Preds for the banner thing, but they've been out. And not only that, they dunked on you back by raising – They did you see the banner they photoshopped? It was a Vegas banner that was going up and it said, this is why nobody likes you. And like, that's exactly right. Like Vegas Twitter is so annoying. That's the only reason I would want that team to lose. But yeah, no, back back to the Habs and, and the Jets. Good for them. You're right, Brad, on all those points as to why they won some of their games. They had to have bounces. They had to have luck. They had to have the other team beating themselves as is Toronto's tradition. But hey, that's the playoffs. If these playoffs have taught me anything, it's throw all the expectations, throw all the this should happen or this is what it's like on paper out the window. That's for the first 82 games. I'm more concerned about what team can step it up and get that extra tenth of a percent of effort on the ice or or skill or talent or capitalizing on a bounce to make it work. Get that edge however you can. So, yeah, man, credit. Yeah, sucks to be the Edmonton Oilers. 
because he got swept by a team that got swept, and that was by the Montreal Canadiens. So, yikes. And there's a chance Vegas sweeps Montreal, so we get the rare triple sweep, which hasn't ha- has only happened twice in previous NHL history, but oddly enough, the last time it happened was 2019. Like, it wasn't that long ago when the Penguins got swept by the Islanders, the Islanders got swept by the Hurricanes, the Hurricanes got swept by the Bruins, and St. Louis had to ruin it in the Cup Finals and not sweep the Bruins to complete the quad, but... Three twice in NHL history, but we're on the verge of maybe a third in two years, three years. So Canadians in four or five? I'll say four, just to keep six. They we'll do it on home ice. <laughs> um, Carolina, Tampa Bay. I I was hoping for more from that series. Um, I was hoping for more from Carolina. I would have liked a longer series in five games, but really what it just cements is, holy shit, Andre Vasilevsky's good and is worthy of the praise he gets. And Tampa Bay is still a killer team who is an odds-on cup favorite, even though they lost game one against the Islanders today. I'm not... Don't say it, Brad. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Anyways. Um, well, it helps when you're 18 mil over the cap. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we need a bell. The- Evan, we need that bell back. <laughs> I really tried. Um, to be fair, it was only five games, but it was a very entertaining five games, and it was a very close five games. Carolina didn't get walked in that series. They weren't outclassed. They weren't – they belonged. Tampa is the better team, and again, I've been saying it for years. Tampa is the cup favorite every year until otherwise stated. Um so none of this is surprising. Uh, Carolina made it a fight, but Tampa is Tampa, so they made it through. The Islanders put on a clinic in how to beat the Lightning today and just like absolutely stifle them and capitalize on mistakes. And they're not going to do that four games in a row, but they have the blueprint. Um, yeah, I mean, what? where is Tampa lacking? What more can you say? They're literally, their third pairing of Savard Sergachev is light years ahead of any pairing on the Red Wings. So they don't even belong in the same league. So yeah, this all makes sense. If the Red Wings had a pairing of that caliber next season, we'd say what GM did Steve Eisman rip off to make that happen? Like half of that would have to be cider having an amazing, like Calder level rookie season. Watching playoff hockey is just solidified my opinion on how far away Detroit actually is because just going from watching Red Wings games to now watching playoffs and teams I typically wouldn't ever really watch it it's it honestly looks like it's a different league I was watching Colorado Vegas and yeah same thought I was like this is like it's almost jolting you remember that how fast the sport is and how good these players are. And not to say that the Red Wings don't have NHL caliber players, but it all goes away once you're muddied at the bottom of the league, right? Like it's, it's also disjointed and you see the set plays they run and you're like, holy shit. You see the type of plays their star players make every shift. It's just the, the, the level of competition in the Vegas Colorado series and the the skill that both those teams possess was just it, it just makes me rethink everything I've thought about where Detroit is and not in a good way. 
like with all due respect to Dylan Larkin, these play you watch Mark Stone, Nathan McKinnon, Brain Point, Victor Hedman, Matt Barzal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It just cements the fact that you can't be a cup contender with Dylan Larkin as your best player. You can't. There, there's no path there. You have to have 12 of him or better players. Now, based on the draft and everything, it looks like we have several candidates uh, to be better than Larkin. So we don't. Have, it's not completely doom and gloom. But yeah, this team has a long way to go. Like Carolina just lost in five games in the second round. Now think of how far ahead of Detroit they are. Yeah. So it's it's good perspective. Not only do you need to be able to run four lines, basically, but you need to have a superstar, at least a superstar forward, at least a superstar in net, and probably a superstar on D. Yeah. Without Unless you're the Islanders and that make you know, there are a couple of guys who I think are all stars. I don't well, know. If, I don't know how I feel about their goaltending in terms of saying all star, but um Islanders are a little bit different than the other the other teams. I I will argue for the Islanders here because us included, they've been branded with this boring systems team and to an extent that's true. But because they have that brand, I don't think we realize how good some of their players are. Adam Pellick is going to be a Norris ballot this year. And I don't think people realize that. Ryan Pulak's not that far behind. Matt Barzell is one of the best players in the league. Brock Nelson's numbers, if you go look them up, will surprise the hell out of you. Jordan Eberle, still good. Don't tell Edmonton. Like, they have players. They are not just Barry trotzing their way through the playoffs. I'll still argue trots is the biggest reason they've made the conference finals in back-to-back years. But He's they are not- superstar. Yeah, yeah, honestly, but they are not just Barry trotting their way through the playoffs, and I think they get sold short on that. I yeah. think if Matt Barzell played on a different team, he would be up for like Rocket Richard hard votes every single year. I think the way he plays under a Barry Trotz team limits him offensively, and he's still one of the best players. A hundred percent. Yeah, you put. To go with a team still in the playoffs, you put Matt Barzell on Vegas or even Colorado, he's a 90-point guy. Easy. Oh, Easy. Yeah. Uh, before I jump into the next series here, do you guys know of any like uh, face moisturizer for men's companies? Because that's who we should get to sponsor this podcast. Because look at Evan's face with that like evening glow right now. It's always so funny <laughs> when this time of day hits. <laughs> yeah, I've got the blinds fully open now. So <laughs> I'm partially blind from the sunset. But uh, it was getting dark in here. Partially blind by how beautiful this scene is. Whose face looks like this? At the end of a long day, you have Brad and I just like pasty. Like we look like shit. I haven't had a haircut in forever. Well, the key is to sit on it down from the heavens. The key is to sit on a dock for approximately 16 hours for a single day. See, the the thing is, I have kids in the middle of a lockdown. I have lived outside for the past two months like my farmer's tan is aggressive but i still look like this there evan you're ignoring the severe portion of this that is genetics that uh, we lack brad i should also add the caveat that i had no responsibilities as well yeah i was gonna say that's very key to this 12 hours in the sun uh, Brad's farmer tan so bad that he actually received corn subsidies from the government. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, yeah. So hold on, I- hold on, hold on. 
Are we just going to skim past Ryan having the worst dad joke of the week? Like when, Since when is that surprising? You're the biggest like dad. It. Thank you. I yeah. it. That's, that's fair. Uh, speaking of the Islanders, they put away the, the Bruins in six. And honestly, that to me is the biggest testament to the, the, the quality of play of that team that you both were just talking about. The Bruins are a good team, man. I think they beat themselves a little bit. I have no idea why they're putting Tuka Rask in net if the guy needs surgery. Look, I'm big on Tuka Rask. I think he's one of the most talented goalies in the world. And if he's healthy, you play him. But if he needs surgery, play your very capable young goaltender. Play him. Spencer Knight won a game in these playoffs. Uh, Swayman, right, is his name? Swayman. Well, th- that's the thing. What did Rask have? A torn labrum in his hip? Yeah. My God, he's a goalie. Like, you need your hips, but... It's not just that they have Swayman, and don't get me wrong, Swayman's been very good. They also have Halak and uh, Vladar, who were also really, really good. They had three viable options, although I think Halak might be injured, but I'm not a thousand percent. Either way, yeah, you had options and good ones. Like, don't leave the poor guy to suffer. Yeah, Swayman was pretty lights out down the stretch of the last bit of the regular season, too, so it was... Oh, a couple strange decisions made by Boston that kind of sealed their fate, and they ran up against the Islanders, uh, who just seemed to put everybody in a sleeper hold. If there's any team that we're happy to see shoot themselves in the foot, it's Boston. So, fantastic. Agreed. The three, honestly, I think three of these series had a trend of a team beating themselves. Three of the four. Um, Winnipeg, you know, Mark Shifley makes a stupid hit, gets himself suspended for the series. They don't stand a chance any of those games. Um, and then Colorado loses 4-2, and we're going to talk about that series right now. Look, that's a great series. I only wish that series could have gone nine games, like f- some of the best hockey you'll watch. If that was a cup finals, no one would have been mad. Would ha- would Colorado have at least brought it to seven with Nazem Kadri in? I'd say yeah, absolutely. And you, here you have Kadri suspended for the entirety of the, of the series. I just don't understand. I get sometimes you make a hit or you make a play that gets lost in the moment or you lose your head or whatever. But like these are, are bona fide examples like Bruce Cassidy keeping Tuka Rask in, Nazem Kadri making that him hit, getting himself suspended, Mark Shifley making that hit, getting himself suspended. These weren't borderline things. These were like stupid plays that hurt the team. And this is what happens. I just in a playoffs like this, I don't understand how you make those decisions. But yeah, Colorado Vegas, what a series. I really I had Colorado winning it all. That was my my bracket. I'll be transparent with that. Um I'm not shocked to see Vegas win. Like I think these are arguably the two best teams in the playoffs, unless you want to count Tampa Bay, right? So oof, I really just wish we could have had more of that hockey. Honestly, the the hockey in that series was so good it forced me to make a meme on my phone from bed watching it just because like you watch montreal winnipeg and then you watch that you can't convince me that was the same sport let alone the same league it's unbelievable like i understand defense wins championships colorado and vegas said screw that like up tempo high offense high octane just run and gun and they do it so well so well like Obviously, Montreal winning the cup would be a really fun story. Don't get me wrong. But for the good of hockey, we need Vegas to win because we need every team to emulate this. This is what we want hockey to be. So let's like whatever team wins the cup, teams will copy. So if you like fun and games, Tampa winning last year was a good start. 
If Vegas does it this year, that there's a good chance that will be the new trend in the NHL because it's proved like multiple successes with the same style. The thing that gets me with Vegas, I understand why people don't want Vegas to win. And I don't even think it's bad reasoning. They're new. They haven't had the, uh, the, the trials and tribulations that other franchises have had for years. I get that. I don't necessarily like subscribe to that, but I understand it completely. There's a lot of conversation about why Vegas is so good. And, you know, the expansion draft rules being geared towards expansion teams being good. Yeah. You know, that's a factor. Sure. Um, other GMs making bad trades during the expansion draft or bad moves. Yeah, that that's part of it. Um, whatever. This is from Graphic Comments, the Twitter account. Great account to follow. The biggest portion of it, and they had a fun comic about this. I tweeted it, retweeted it, sorry. It's the $75 million in cap space free, and this is a quote from the, the comic, free of dead money from years of hockey man decisions. And that is the reality of it. You do not have a lifetime of, of Chirelli decisions. You don't have a lifetime of the, you know, later year Ken Holland decisions. You don't have a lifetime of just bad contracts built up. They had every year they go out and buy another fantastic player. Look how easily they were able to sign Mark Stone after, after trading for him. Look how easily they were able to bring in, bring in Petrangelo. Like they're able to capitalize on not only the talent they have, but bring in new talent to a very desirable city to live and play in because they don't have the weight of all those bad contracts. So honestly, it makes complete sense that they contend year in and year out. So to tackle every point you made there quickly, one about people are unsure if Vegas even deserves this piss off quit your gatekeeping bullshit you want you like hockey that's why you watch hockey so a new market succeeding is really helping grow the sport so if you're pro hockey you should be pro grow the game you should be happy a new market is experiencing a lot of success so other any other opinion is just weird it's like you want hockey to shrink um two on the whole you know, they haven't had the suffering part. I think one five-minute power play met their quota for that. <laughs> yeah. They may not have the duration, but the heartbreak adds up. <laughs> and your last point about, you know, what having a blank canvas can do. Yeah, a thousand percent. Look at what Eiserman's done ever since the Red Wings got out of cap hell. And he hasn't even done anything aggressive yet. He turned the marks like... Some of the cap space into a Mark Stahl, which was a second round pick. Signed Mantha to a good contract and then acquired a Jacob Verona second round pick and first round pick. Like a blank canvas goes a really, really long way in hockey. And I'm not convinced Seattle is going to be this good because in regards to the expansion draft, setting them up for success, I still don't buy that despite how good Vegas is. Cause when you look at all who all their top players are that they acquired via the expansion draft, it was all other teams mistakes. Shea Theodore was a trade to acquire another player. Alex Tuck was a trade to acquire another player. Riley Smith and Jonathan Marsha. So was a package deal to free up cap space for Florida. Like these are their best players outside of Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty who were trades after the fact, like, if every team had any common sense, Vegas got the 11th best player on everybody's team, but teams trip over themselves to help them. So I think Seattle's going to have some deals like that, but they're not getting this level of help that Vegas had. Maybe not intentionally, but I don't know, man. I think a lot of people are going to have 
Seattle can squeeze them based on the money, right? Like they really can help them out. Well, getting back to your third point originally, yes, hockey men are going to help Seattle. I yeah, I, it won't be as much as Vegas, but it's gonna happen. It just won't be as dramatic. Um, speaking of Alex Tuck, another player who looks like Evan. Evan just looks like a quintessential hockey player. Yeah, I see that one more than the Shea Weber, but you know, for the sake of the joke, I'll or the comparison, I'll continue with it. Ken said it. That means it's a rule now. It's <laughs> true. Um, okay, previewing these conference finals or, or third round or semifinals or whatever, whatever we want to call them. Uh, Lightning Islanders. Game one just happened. The Islanders hang, hung on for a 2-1 victory. Um, that's going to be a good series. I, I really think that, you know, I think it's easy to pick the Lightning for sure, even bef- like let's say before this game. I don't know. I think the Islanders have a real chance. Out of all of their years, I really think this is the one where they have the best chance. And if they get past Tampa Bay, how do you not pick them to win it all? Because Vegas. Um, <laughs> so I'm very pro Islanders in this series. I think as Red Wings fans, we have to be. <laughs> I don't think we have a choice. Uh, today was a good start. It was a good blueprint. Tampa's Tampa. They have way more skill than the Lightning, and John Cooper is a good coach, so they will adapt. And Vasilevsky is a good goalie, and he's not going to be happy with either of the goals he let in today. I still think Tampa wins this series, probably in seven, just because they're Tampa, but I am very much on the Islanders bandwagon. Um, Who do I have? I have Vegas in the finals against Boston, so that doesn't really work out anymore, does it? Um, I I just have a hard... It's so hard to bet against either of those teams. On the one hand, you've got Tampa, which is basically the Red Sox in disguise at this point. Um, On the other hand, you've got Barry Trotz, who, when they play at home, they can just line up match everybody and, and, and win those games, like... I have a really tough time betting against either of the teams, but man, what the Islanders are doing right now is is pretty wa- remarkable. So I'll go with the Islanders also because I dislike Tampa. I'm going to be boring here and I am going to take Tampa in the end. Um, but I think, I think and hope I'm wrong. And I think uh, the Islanders have a really great chance to prove me wrong here and upset Tampa. If they, I think the series is going, I don't think it's finishing in less than, than six, most likely seven, but who knows how that goes. Jumping over to the other side of this, if Montreal takes a single game off Vegas, that's a victory in my mind. I mean, literally it is, but like that is a series victory in my mind. If Montreal takes multiple games off Vegas, man. I, I want to see it happen. You know, it's fun as a Red Wings fan to root against Montreal, same division. You know, we beat them four times in our worst season, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, like all that's great and well and good. But it's at the point now where it's hysterical. And to see a powerhouse like Vegas fall to Montreal would be absolutely so funny and break everyone's preconceived notions about what the North Division is like and what the Montreal Canadiens are like. And I love the chaos of it all. So I really do hope they make this at least a difficult series. My prediction is Vegas in five. Um, I think Montreal might be able to squeeze a win out, but I really hope it's like Montreal in seven or something ridiculous like that. So in this series, the goaltending is basically a wash because Flurry and Price have both been playing out of their minds. 
Vegas has a pretty comfortable advantage on defense, and that doesn't even factor in how injured Jeff Petrie is. Um, I know he's wearing a special glove, so who knows how effective he'll be. But either way, even if Petrie's fully healthy, I still like Vegas's defense better. Vegas's offense is light years ahead of Montreal's. Like they're not even in the same stratosphere. I give the coaching advantage to Vegas because, you know, DeBoer is a fantastic coach and I don't think he's ever lost a game seven. It's been in the final four, what, four of the last six years with multiple teams. Basically, Vegas has every advantage in this series, literally every advantage, uh, but I'm not getting suckered again. So Montreal on seven. <laughs> yes, they actually gave Jeff Petrie that glove from the, what's that Marvel movie? The end game. I haven't seen it. Oh I apologize. <laughs> Jesus, we are getting the full Evan experience this episode. I do not like Marvel movies that much or superhero movies for that matter. So I am not good with that reference, but I thought I would give it a shot and see how close I was. <laughs> yeah, the was I close? Infinity Gauntlet, buddy. That's what yeah. it is. Mm. How close you were wasn't the issue. It's, I don't know. I think for me, who makes the dad jokes and who for Brad, who's literally the dad, I think you're the dad of this podcast right now. I'm feeling like the dad. That movie that those young kids watch that I don't understand. <laughs> you Iron Men's. Yes. I don't even remember what I said now, but I know it wasn't right. <laughs> they gave Jeff Petrie the Infinity Gauntlet is what yes. you were alluding to. Yes. As as I was trying to to say, they gave him the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, yeah, I don't think Montreal's got much of a chance, but I think I said that for the first two series as well. So... Yeah, it'll be Montreal in like five, probably. Um, and if not, it'll be Vegas in five. Somebody's going to win in five. That's what my prediction is. All right. Well, we'll watch these uh, series progress. At least it's been fun. Um, the only, Again, the only thing that you can really rip on teams for is when those single players or like one single coaching decision makes a mistake that costs it for them. So, yeah, Shifley, stupid hit, cost him. Kadri, stupid hit, cost him. Bruce Cassidy kept Tuka Raskin, probably shouldn't have. It cost him. So, uh, One other quick piece of news here. Owen Power uh, mentioned that he is likely looking to go back to the University of Michigan next year. This read like big news to a lot of people, you know, likely or one of the most likely candidates to be selected first overall by um, the uh, Buffalo Sabres. It makes sense though, right? Like without spending too much time on this, it's a pretty easy decision. There's no need to rush Owen Power to the NHL. The Buffalo Sabres are hardly the the framework for the world's greatest NHL team that needs that rookie help right now. Go back to Michigan, develop some more, come in when you're ready. Well, we've said before, well, at least I've said before, I don't think there's anybody in this draft who's fully NHL ready. There's a few guys who can make a run for it, but a lot would have to go right for them. So... The fact Power's talking about going back to Michigan next year. Well, yeah, he's either playing with the Sabres or going to Michigan. It's not going to be anything else um, at this stage in his development anyway. Um, it's it, my favorite thing. So I did the dumbest thing ever, but it worked out in my favor for entertainment purposes. I actually read some comments below one of these articles and there were people posting, oh, good, Power is going to re-enter the draft so he doesn't have to get picked by Buffalo. And it's just like, that's not how this works, Jimbo. But the amount of people saying that was entertaining. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a Michigan fan, so I'm I'm hoping this comes to fruition. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, good for us. All right, prospect profiles. Uh, we missed one last episode, so we're going to double up this episode for the last uh, 15 minutes or so before here, uh, here before overtime. And we're going to start with one that is uh, extremely relevant to Detroit at six overall uh, from Frolunda's uh, J18 team. Shoots left, plays defense, obviously very attractive to the Red Wings for that reason. Swedish player Simon Edvinson. Brad, take us away here. Simon Edvinson, possibly the most polarizing prospect in this draft. Seen him as high as number two on some lists, including Bob McKenzie's list, which is the most relevant. Seen him as low as 21. So what is Simon Edvinson? He is massive has skill, and can skate. So when you hear that about a left-handed defenseman, it seems like a no-brainer. But there are a lot of buts with his game. Not the greatest decision maker. uh, Plays a risky style. Did not have the production you would hope to see from an offensive defenseman this past season. And plays uh, at a pretty slow pace. Now, when you're a six foot four defenseman with skill, you can play with slow pace. It's it's like Victor Hedman. I know Owen Power gets a lot of the Victor Hedman comparisons in this draft because he's big, rangy, and is going to go near the top of the draft. But stylistically, I think Edvinson's the better comparison there. He's just not as good as either of those two. Um, or I should say as good as Hedman was at the same age. Edmondson's a very boomer bust prospect. And I mean that in almost the most literal sense, because there's a reality here where he doesn't become a a relevant NHL player because there are that many questions about his pace and decision-making. If you have all the tools in the world, but you are constantly making the wrong decision, you're not going to be that productive. I mean, Brendan Smith made an NHL career, but he was a first round pick who sure as hell didn't have a career of a first round pick. Uh, for those exact reasons, um, although Edvinson's ceiling is Edvinson's ceiling is much higher than Brennan Smith's ever was, just for comparison's sake. <sighs> this is a guy you have to really trust your scouts to take. If they go, yeah, we see what everybody's talking about, but it's not as big an issue, or it's easily correctable. Do it. Take him. <sighs> When you combine the question marks with his lack of production, that's what sends up my red flags. Because, you know, for a 17-year-old defenseman playing in a men's professional hockey league, making some mistakes, that that doesn't bother me usually. And the types of mistakes he generally makes aren't super egregious. It's not like he's giving away in the slot on the regular. So I'm not crazy concerned about that i have more concerns with his lack of production and pace because he plays slow despite all his skill and despite how good his skating is which is what's frustrating for me he can play a lot faster than he does um yeah i don't know he's he's i released my rankings for our patrons i have him at number eight still just because the tools are there but i don't love him as much as most people do going into this draft yeah, Edvinson's a peculiar case, and, and like I mentioned before, he's going to be particularly attractive to the Red Wings and Red Wings fans because of the position he plays. Uh, couple that with the fact that he's largely labeled as a two-way defender, right? So that's going to be 
people are going to try to check off as many boxes as they can. You know, the Red Wings are bringing in more outside or on the right side, a guy who can defend as well as pretty much anyone not in the NHL and probably better than a lot of people currently in the NHL um, and has some offensive aspect to this game. Edmondson seems to have, have both sides of the ice covered. I'm confused as to the pace question for him because like you mentioned brad he does have the speed so is this a hockey iq thing does he need that time to read and survey the ice and make the decision because if so i'm not genuinely a big fan of taking him at six that doesn't make him a bust prospect and that doesn't make him a bad prospect but i think there are better prospects overall who have better hockey iq and make you know bigger impact on the game uh if this is a guy who can't think the game fast enough but who's supposed to have the puck on his stick to move up the ice you're looking at a second, third pairing guy. And I'd rather take a swing at someone who's going to be first line, first pairing, starting goalie uh, with that six overall pick. But all those things you you mentioned, like he, he can defend well. Uh, he can display some level of skill offensively. I think he, he is an all around. There is something to be said about every single aspect of his game, but yeah, the decision-making to me and, and how he kind of reacts to the play and, and read the play before making that, that move i'm not sold that he should be moved down but there there are a lot of questions for me if the if the scouts are banging their fists on the table this guy has enough in his toolkit where i'm saying yeah fine you know he fits he has the skill set they're gonna have to work like hell to make sure he's refined in his development but i'm not mad at all but I don't want to say polarizing for me. I, you know, I wouldn't be angry if they took him, but I'm really, really focusing on 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 what comes next for him. Yeah, I think the first thing that really jumped out to me was his. Well, we were talking about lack of production, and his shot is pretty unremarkable um, for a guy that large. You think he would just be able to pound the puck? I don't. His slap shot doesn't look all that great to me. Um, and his wrist shot doesn't look that great to me either. So if he can improve those, I think the offense would come because he looks like he can get in good spots in the offensive zone um, and elude defenders decently well right now. So I can see all that upside. Um, but that's a, I just don't know if it's worth the risk with your top 10 pick when there's going to be a lot. I don't want to, I don't know if I should say safer or more sure picks, but I think there's going to be one or two guys available at Detroit's pick that I that I like more than uh, Edvinson. So I don't know if the offensive game never comes. You basically just got yourself like a three to six defenseman. Those generally are you can acquire in various ways um, in the NHL. So I like his game, but there's a lot of stuff I don't like about it. Um he does he is a good skater i can't believe how good he skates for a guy who's six foot four and how sort of deceptive he is on his feet um but yeah it's kind of the all tools no toolbox or is that is that the one is that the saying good i that, can't that is can't, apt here i yes. can't go over two today <laughs> <laughs> um he kind of he kind of strikes me as that kind of guy um I don't know. It just he's not wowing me. You know, you don't have to wow, but I just feel like you can get a guy like him who's already seasoned in the NHL when the time is ready to to make a push for the to win the cup. I don't know. It just it's he's not a prospect that really stands out to me. 
Maybe I'm well, being critical, but you, you do need guys like him on your team. You need guys who can, at some, if he doesn't have offense, play a strong defensive game. I, I don't know. It just it just doesn't really tickle my fancy. So there's a few things to note specifically with the draft here with Edmondson. Now, obviously, we tend to trust Bob McKenzie's list the most uh, because he's actually going off NHL scouts and what they're saying. And he's number two on McKenzie's list. So there's it's more likely than not Edmondson won't even make it to the Red Wings pick, which, again, where I have him ranked is just fine with me. It means someone higher on my board is making it to the Red Wings. But the other side of that coin is I mentioned earlier that if you're picking him, you have to really have faith in your scouts and your development staff. And when it comes to European scouting teams, there's no European scouts I trust more in the NHL than the Detroit Red Wings. So if we pick him, I'm going to be comfortable with that pick because I trust Hakan Anderson probably more than any other human in the entire NHL. So I'm not going to freak out if we take him, even though he's not my favorite guy right now. Because if he says, yeah, this is a guy that is raw now, but we can turn him into a star, I'm on board. I am fully on board. Um, a lot of the things, if, if you want to know kind of the talking points in more depth, to me, Edmondson is a souped-up William Wallander. So if you like the Wallander pick last year, early in the second round, Edmondson's a bigger upside bet, but with a lot of the same concerns. He's a project. The tools are there. The decision-making's got to come around. Hasn't really produced to the level you'd want at the higher levels. All the things we said about Wallander last year, we're saying about Edmondson now. It's just the ceiling is much higher. So... um you know, for context, if you want to get a little more in depth, just we can just recycle the Wallander conversation. <laughs> yeah. And just to wrap up the Edmondson point here before getting to our next prospect, we we hyper focused on his flaws and the cons column because, like Brad alluded to here, this guy is a top 10 pick. He's one of the best players in this draft by all rights. Um, and the Red Wings are picking six overall. It's that sweet spot where you do have to weigh those flaws on balance. Don't take this as Edvinson's a bad player. And if the Red Wings pick him, it's a bad pick. No guy, you know, skates phenomenally. The guy has a ton of skill. If the hockey IQ thing comes around and it's just that he, he needed some time to adjust to higher levels. And if his defending wasn't based on his physical dominance and he can't translate that and keep improving that as he moves into better levels of hockey. Yeah, that's an ultimate boom pick. That's a first pairing left side defenseman. My questions now are on are on how likely that is, but yeah, not everyone thinks this way. You know, the the scouts that Bob McKenzie talked to who have a really good pulse on the way the drafts actually go, uh they see something that doesn't or they see enough that those cons we talked about don't concern them too much. So It'll be he'll be a very interesting one, and I think he'll be one that we revisit before the draft. Okay, our next prospect here uh, to cover on our prospect profiles, um, someone who I think got a lot of attention for good reason at the uh, U18s, uh, Brennan Othman, left winger. Um, I think is a super interesting player, especially for Red Wings fans who are looking at who to take with that second first round pick that they got from Washington, uh, left winger from the Flint Firebirds. Um, Brad, you start. He's a super interesting player just because his mold of a hockey player, there's not many players like him. Ironically enough, there's another one in this first round in Mason McTavish, except he's a center, Othman's a winger, but 
Coming out of the GTHL, Othman was the second overall pick in the OHL behind Shane Wright. Like he put up cartoonish numbers going into the OHL draft and had a very respectable rookie season, uh, U17 season in the OHL. Uh, looking at it here, 17 goals, 33 points in 55 games at 16. That's worth noting. Had uh, because there was no OHL season, spent a good amount of time in the Swiss second league, I believe, this year. Was about a half a point per game player there, which is again impressive as a 17 year old against men. Had a fantastic U18 uh, for Team Canada. Now, the track record is there for Othman, even though the OHL season got canceled. So, when we talk about like the context that adds, I'm not. He's one of the players where that's not a huge concern for me. He's a poor skater. Let's just get that out of the way. He's not a good skater. He's a below average skater. He is a pain in the ass, high compete level, and an unreal shot. So everything we said, but why we like Mason McTavish, this is why we like Brendan Othman. Not to the same level that McTavish is, but not far off. And obviously with the caveat, he's a winger, not a center. I see a lot of Tyler Bertuzzi and Brendan Othman with a better shot. Like that, that's the vibe I get. And again, it's not an exact one-to-one comparison, but if, if you want to know the type, that's kind of what I see. And I, I think Othman has Bertuzzi level upside, a guy who could play on a first line as a complimentary player will be a, a, you know, his goals stat line will generally be higher than his assist stat line, but you put him with a couple players, he can get to the dirty areas and finish. He can beat goalies from range with his shot. He can score in a lot of different ways. His o- only real big concern is his skating. His playmaking's fine, not a calling card, but good enough. But a guy who busts his ass off, has good puck skills in his shot, there's a role for him on most NHL teams. Yeah, the energy guy is right. Um, if you add skating to him, I think he's moving well into the you know top 15 of most people's boards because, like you mentioned, I think that shot is fantastic. We saw that on display uh, in the U18s, um, how intense he pushes into the offensive zone. Like if you actually couple that with a vastly improved s- skating skill set, which I mean, it's a big ask. <laughs> if he was a different player, he'd be different. Um, but you know, the, there's a lot there to like about his game. He does fit the Steve Eisman mold of, you know, go 110 at all times. This is a guy who's going to work his ass off, compete super well, um, has offensive prowess, can play with talented offensive players as, as was displayed. The skating does concern me. Um, he fits into the mold of, I think it's fixable, but if every player whose skating was fixable, fix their skating, there'd be a lot better players in the NHL, right? Like there's just some guys who can't. So it's an if for me. Um, If the U18s didn't happen and this was a normal year, I think Brendan Othman would have been a great target for the second round. But because he got that extra showcase, because people saw him at the U18s with Canada, uh, I think there's not a chance he slips to the second round. If he's who Detroit takes with their 23rd pick or 23rd overall pick, um, I'm not upset at all. I'm not upset at all. My ideal range would be something a little bit later than that. I think if they snagged him with their first second round pick, that'd be a lot better. But uh, you you can't ask for everything. So I don't think he makes it out of the first. Uh, But yeah, Brennan Othman, I think, deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, his skating from the U18s that I remember was not that great. But he scored goals sort of in every sort of manner, um, which is something you really like to see. So... I think his NHL certainty is rather quite high and there'll be a lot of coaches who like his game 
um, and what he can bring. So, you know, if he works on his skating, he'll be better defensively. He'll be better offensively as well. And he'll find himself higher in the lineup. If he doesn't, he's decent defensively and he's got a good work ethic and can chip, chip in somewhat offensively as well. So he could find himself in the bottom six as a supplementary scorer. Um, so if you're looking for a safe pick, I think he's pretty safe at 23 if he's still there. Um, I, I like him. He's just got to work on his foot speed, really. Now, when I posted my rankings on Patreon, I, I broke them into tiers. And uh, Othman fell in my third tier, which I forget what I, I called that. I labeled that the please fall to the to 23 overall for the Red Wings. Uh, he was on the lower end of that tier, but still in that tier. So just linking it up here. Yeah, I have him ranked 18. So if the Red Wings get him at 23, I'm I'm thrilled. Well, that's uh, two prospect profiles for you today. And in a winged wheel podcast first, Evan did not once say, well, what else is there to say? So that Ken Daniels interview really changed you, eh, Evan? Well, there was stuff left to say. So today <laughs> I didn't need to. <laughs> what he's saying is Brad and I didn't do our jobs well enough. So it's an indictment onto us. Uh, no, those are those are two prospect profiles to get through. Uh, and like I've mentioned before, we're going to be revisiting these profiles. This has been a funny year to scout. I mean, we talked about Brendan Othman and his goal scoring prowess in the U18s. I think it was like, what, three goals in seven games? Like, we don't have big sample sizes on a lot of these players. So, um, as we have more time to pour over the information and as we have a little bit of a better pulse about what scouts around the league are thinking as well. Um, and as we just continue to beat conversations to death, see Jesper Wallstedt, uh, we'll be jumping back into these. So if you feel like we could or should revisit these, uh, drop us a comment or, or tweet at us or whatever it might be. And we'll do that. But for now, uh, let's jump into overtime. We're going to start uh, getting into the last phase of this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is going to start with our Winged Wheel Podcast patrons. Uh, patrons like you, you're the reason why we can do cool things like interview uh, Ken Daniels and have him on the show and and show the amazing support that we have for organizations like the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So uh, thank your local Winged Wheel Podcast patron. And if you are able, please consider supporting the show. Uh, Ruthless and Toothless says, can you verbally differentiate between a star and a superstar? Um, moreover, once a superstar, always a superstar. Does that status degrade with age? Great work on the interview. Uh, what was Evan on? Joking. Cheers. Let me do this first. I have superstar as a very, very small window. Like I have superstar as like, uh, we had the Mark Shifley conversation once. I think Mark Shifley is on like the high end star. I think superstar is game breaking. Like I think superstar is like you're pushing 100 points. You drag your teams to wins. Like uh, uh, the highest of high end star is a much more bigger window than superstar. I think superstar is a much more sparing label in my mind. For easy context for me, superstar is nominated for major awards yearly for a prolonged period of time or if you're still young you are absolutely dominating the league like Connor mcdavid's young but we knew very early on he was a superstar because he was you know putting up 100 points as like a 12 year old it was insane um if you have to have the argument about whether or not they are a superstar they're not that's kind of what it comes down to me, like true superstar. The definition of star can be a little broader, um, but again, that's that's a pretty reserved list too because I don't 
I don't even have Larkin as an NHL star. He's a really, really good player. But like a star is a guy who makes all-star teams routinely. Again, will every now and then get nominated for awards, top 30 scoring or yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? But superstar, there should be no debate. You should look at the player and go, yeah, he's one. I don't have to justify this. Brad Marchand, superstar, David Krejci, like maybe when he was a bit younger, star. Fair? I don't I wouldn't even have Krejci in the star category. Oh, I think that's that's Krejci erasure, but that's an argument for a different day. I don't um, know how good Krejci was. He wasn't winning awards, man. He wasn't even nominated. Brendan, yeah, because you know, awards are a great litmus test. No, um, um we did we actually don't even have time for this fight today. This comment's from Brendan, and I'm Brendan, I'm not saying this anymore. Ryan say hashtag you know, it's the stupid crypto coins with stupid names. I uh, got my second dose in the first day, slept 16 or 20 hours. I can't wait for the draft. It's going to be fun to see who we get. Well, congrats. Um, I'm happy you're through. I, I heard the second dose hits you a little harder. So happy you're through that and congrats again. Antonio Gracias says, just ordered my brother a Rain City Bitch Pigeons jersey for his birthday. He likes hockey well enough, but I could I wouldn't call him a major fan. He's more of a gamer slash appreciator of, fi- of fine memes. That said, my question to you is, if you could turn a meme into a jersey for a non-hockey fan, which would you choose? Oh, it would be uh, Ben Affleck smoking a cigarette outside that building looking exhausted. That's the Red Wings jersey. The two women from the Housewives show yelling at the cat at the dinner table. <laughs> I can't even think of a meme that could be made into a jersey right now. My brain is so mush. I also want to be specific. The two women yelling at the cat at the table. The two women are absolutely me and Ryan yelling at Evan. 1000%. Yeah. <laughs> I can get on board with that. Uh Evan Beckner says, while I mostly agree with Brad's opinion on taking Wallstead, it's hard to ignore that three of the top four highest paid goalies are in the conference finals. And before Brad mentions Tampa's cap circumvention. Uh, For context, just remember, you could take Kucherov and Hedman off that team right now, and they're still over the cap. Evan, did you hear something? Not me. Uh, Taylor Tadgell says, uh, the Ken Daniels episode was one of my favorites to listen to ever. Potential UFA targets this offseason. The talk is about the draft and prospects a lot, but there needs to be guys competing for spots and filling out the roster that aren't from the organization. Honestly, my thought is fill out as many of those with young guys as you can and get more Bobby Ryan types, like guys who aren't bums, but who aren't going to push you too far over. It's not a popular thing to say out loud, but I want this team well in the lottery mix for Shane Wright. That's that's where I want them. We can sign Alexander Ovechkin. Yeah, it'll only cost $11 million a year. Tuka Rask, too. He'll heal up fine. No, I, I'm going to bang the table for the Alex Galchenyuk's of the world. Fine guys who have a little bit of offensive upside, have Blash, he'll teach him the defenseman. They'll cost a million dollars and... It's all I want. I don't want in on the Dougie Hamiltons this year. I don't want in on the Alex Ovechkins this year. More Troy Stetchers, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, Troy Stetchers. Um, Colorado 14ers, who I believe is a uh, recently upgraded to name level sponsor. So Colorado 14ers, thank you so much. Uh, They say thanks so much for the Ken Daniels interview. As someone with 14 years of sobriety, there are a few days... 
uh, when I do not have to convince myself that jail, hospitals, or death are my options, should I ever come down with a case of the efforts and make it the choice to have a drink? Uh, I've never in my life consumed alcohol without getting drunk, but my brain on its own still believes that it's possible. Those who are not addicts or alcoholics will never truly understand what it's like to be one, but Ken is absolutely right when he says that talking about the disease and raising awareness is what's needed to ease certain stigmas associated with it. Great job with all you've done and continue to do in supporting the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It has saved lives and listening to Ken tell his story last Wednesday assisted in the saving of my own. I can't tell you how much that means to us. Thank you um, so much for sharing that comment. We're just so grateful um, that we have people like you to share your story and and Ken to share um, the story of Jamie and, and the work they're doing. So yeah, I feel just as at a loss for words as I did when Ken was talking. So thank you. Uh, Josh Brink says, what is your favorite non-Red Wings hockey documentary? I think I watched the Russian Five doc for the 40th time and I haven't really branched out of the Wings realm. I'm trying to prepare for off-season content drought. Uh, Does Goon count? (laughs) Okay, so this one's really old and I don't even know where it's available. But I, I remember, I think it was CBC and I have the DVD box set downstairs still. I think it was called Hockey, A People's History and it was like, the full origins of the game of hockey all the way up to present day when it was made. And it it was fascinating because it went into like the early days of where hockey was invented, how it started, um, the early days of women's hockey. Like our local area, KW Cambridge, was one of like the hubs for the first like prominent women's hockey teams uh, starting. Like it was just super fascinating because they really got into the weeds on it and didn't focus too much on the modern, which I'm always a fan of. Was this a question about hockey documentaries or just documentaries? Hockey documentaries that aren't Red Wings. I have no idea. (laughs) Have I even watched one? Uh, (laughs) No, I don't think I have. Kyle Hashman says, great interview. Just picturing Mickey Redmond in his underwear. Uh, smelling of garlic fanning the detector is hilarious. As we all know of Tampa's cap circumventions and the verbal outcry recently, do we ever see changes to an only or to only ice a compliant team while ever while being over as a team in the playoffs or any changes? Also, who do you think Tampa loses this year? Similar to how Johnson was the big block last year until the injury. Uh, I mean, we have to see change. Like there's a lot of things I critique the NHL for, but I understand where they're coming from. This is the one that just seems insane to me. You have to be cap compliant in the regular season, but in the most important hockey of the year, ah, fuck it. Teams can do whatever they want. Like it makes no sense to me. Yeah. You should have to be cap compliant in the playoffs too. It just makes sense. Um, but I digress on that. I can't so stupid. Uh, Cody Stark says to put it in a different perspective, we are celebrating my old man's 70th party birthday party this June. He was 16 and working at a Piggly Wiggly grocery store the last time that Maple Leafs won the cup. Wow, that is the best fr- like frame of mind to think or like the the reference frame of reference. Sorry uh, for Leafs cup. So thank you for that. Also uh, waiting on my wind wheel. Another podcast. fun stat on that. Sorry, just to cut off. Uh, because the Leafs didn't win the cup this year, I don't remember the exact date, but the re- the Leafs are going to set the record for longest Stanley Cup drought in the history of hockey. Yep. Uh, they beat they the Rangers. Yeah. Um, also still patiently owning my uh, Wind Wheel Podcast Fantasy Hockey League prize. Oh, have you not picked it? 
because you have the options. DM me, Cody. Uh, we'll make sure we get that picked. Also, your uh, baby onesie is still on the way. Your The color we had for you was out of stock, but it's coming. Uh, Beer League Participation Trophy says, uh, as... As a gamer, uh, sometimes, as a gamer, sometimes I come to this podcast and I do a lot of thinking about what I might say, but this time, fuck it. Let's just put some words out there and see what happens. Uh, thanks to you for Canadians. I probably finally broke and had to know what all this poutine stuff was about. Slightly hungover. Didn't feel like putting in too much effort using frozen fries and gravy packets, but I did, uh, find and use cheese curds. If that compensates for my sins overall, it was fine. Great interview with Ken, and it's always a nice change of pace to have an actual professional on the show. I mean, big words from someone who's using gravy packets and frozen fries, but I digress. No, I mean, it's not for everyone, I guess, but at least use real cheese curds. Uh, Peter Chott says, um, with Vegas back in the Final Four, would you say that this cements Peter DeBoer as the best coach currently working the NHL to not have a cup? Or even taking into account the notably the notable currently unemployed coaches like Gallant and Boudreaux. Two trips to the finals with the underdog Devils and Sharks teams. Three more conference final trips. 6-0 record in Game 7s are all very impressive lines on his resume. 6-0 in Game 7s. That's nuts. DeBoer is a fantastic coach. Again, I've... It's not even the NHL. Like he coached the Kitchener Rangers, like our local OHL team, for a bunch of years way back when, and won a Memorial Cup there. He was the last coach of the last Rangers team to win a Mem Cup. Um, so, yeah, like it has to be him. I don't even know who else it could be. Ghost of Podcast Pass says, "Question for Ryan and Evan: Would you take a million dollars, but your face would look like Brad's?" I mean, I would. I don't think I'd be the differential between Brad and I is not too much. I don't know if Evan's taking that million bucks. That's a big hit. Evan would be better if you weren't muted, buddy. It's my first day on the podcast as a 31-year-old. Um, I would take the $1 million solely because then I could start on house number two and I can you know, start my, my pain all over again. No, Evan, Evan sees that million dollars and just writes it over to the person that sells him his cottage. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It would be in my possession for about three days, so long as the banks are already open. Yeah, then he'd kill me for my million, and then he'd be halfway to spending what he'd plan- he actually plans on spending on his cottage one day. I hadn't thought about that as an option, but... I'll keep that in the back of my mind. Shit. Uh, Justin <laughs> Justin in the Angry Mob says, Guten Tag, fellas. First off, great interview with Ken Daniels. I laughed, I cried, and I learned a lot. And oh my goodness, yes, is Evan, is Evan is Shea Weber's doppelganger. Final Four is here, and I have a very sneaking suspicion that the Long Islanders are going to upset the Lightning in six games. If they do wind up winning, it has to be accepted that Tavares was the guy holding the Long Islanders back this whole time. I mean, that and a lack of a solid coaching system, but it's more fun to just square it all in Tavares. Anyways, about the Red Wings, looks like Sider's partner with Rogla, Jelena, is headed to Carolina. With the current defenseman and UFA defenseman, who would be an ideal partner for Moritz Sider? Uh, Zdeno Chara, uh, if they want, if the Red Wings want to go for a big swing, and I don't think they'll get this guy, Jamie Alex- Alexiak's name has been thrown around. He'll go to it. Some team will pay him a lot of money because he's a uh, hot commodity right now. And for a lot of years, and he's like 28, 29 years old. So that's... Uh Big fat nope, unless they can keep him on a short contract. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I think Sider's partner is coming from in-house, um, which is just depressing. 
Uh, also, please consider adding Windwheel Podcast brand hats, athletic tanks, beach towels, inflatable beach balls, koozies, and some other summer stuff so I can spontaneously shove the brand into everyone's eyes on the gram and Twitter. I'll hang up and listen. We are working on that. Uh, we I pulled together a sample of a dad hat, and it's the first hat that I've done that has actually come out well, so that might hit the store soon. Uh, C-Nod says... I want um, a bucket hat. No, yeah, we do. We can uh, We can do that. Uh, CNOT says no question about it Vegas Colorado was an amazing series I'm sad they couldn't make it go seven on tight or onto your favorite topic trade rumors I've seen an article or two about the Rangers maybe wanting to move on from Kako to get a more established player do you see a Kako Verona deal uh if New York wants to do it sure but yeah it's not happening I I actually can see New York trading Kako to accelerate the rebuild I I don't yeah I could see it it Vron is not enough because Kako's potential is through the roof. Uh, Jake Nagy says the Ken Daniels interview was one of my favorite all-time episodes. I really enjoyed how candid he was. Did it surprise you guys how honest he was about the rebuild? Yeah, there were a few points where he he dished out a lot more than what we were expecting, which I thought was fantastic. But the rebuild stuff was really, really great. I think that was uh, something he was surprised. That was surprisingly oh, yeah. transparent. Yeah, and uh, I was happy how open he was because we don't hear as fans or, or even media what really goes on behind the scenes. And obviously, we had expressed our concern over the Red Wings scouting the last decade or so to hear that there was a lot of change over there was new information to us, which was good information to have and uh, overall pretty positive information. Uh Eric Boyle says, with the Islanders in the final four for the second year in a row, uh, I think they've established that they're not a fluke. Are they a blueprint for building a contender with depth but no game-breaking superstar talent or too many factors or are too many factors in their success, like Barry Trotz, not reproducible? I think as we talked about earlier this episode, I mean, reproducible is a funny concept, but in general, yeah, that's the kind of – you need a lot of good talent in a lot of places if you don't have more than one bonafide superstar – and a good coach certainly helps. But yeah, like Brad mentioned, there's a lot of blueprint-like pieces there for teams who want that style of play. Uh, Clint, Just Vinesh, be careful so. about selling their talent short. I will repeat that. I can't stress that enough. Yes, they don't have the Nathan McKinnons, Connor McDades of the world, but their players are better than they get credit for. Clinton Banesh says, hypothetical, Sabres want to get out from under Skinner's $9 million per year contract through 2027 they packaged skinner with this year's first overall what would be the return they should receive back uh not much it's a lot of years at nine million dollars i mean i don't trade the red wings 23rd overall pick for that right like am i crazy in saying that second round pick was what my gut immediately told me but that being said the position buffalo's in i i think they're better off just making the pick if this is a different draft you know we're talking one draft back a couple drafts forward here then i I think i'm a lot more tempted to give up more there but yeah not not this year lonnie zone says if a traded pick wins the lottery which team is charged with having one of their two and five years lottery wins used up if it's the team that gets to use the pick doesn't that mean you can burn both in the same year not that that's the worst thing and if it's the other team won't it be that much harder to get first round picks thanks for everything you guys do so i don't think the nhl has specified that but my intuition is that the team that originally owned the pick is who would move up 
that that's that's what my guess would be but i don't know how the nhl would actually do it in practice i'm not sure that they specified that we'll look into it uh reed says hey ryan brad and shay thank you for the excellent and uh moving interview with ken daniels i'm pretty new to the podcast i put it on for uh, the first time a few months ago and my wife and i were amazed with its polish and humor especially for a show with a pretty narrow red wings focus it was so much more entertaining than other general hockey podcasts we tried my wife who i should note does not watch hockey now gets upset if i ever listen to you guys without her uh and a few weeks ago she surprised me with name level sponsorship thank you for bringing some much needed levity and insight into what's been a pretty slogging rebuild uh reed and uh reed's better half thank you so much for for that uh, those kind words um really happy you're loving the show um and to get two votes of confidence in one house is a win for us so um thank you wife for us that is remarkable and a huge compliment considering uh none of our three significant others uh listen to us and i don't think we could pay them to do it (laughs) Catherine and i I did the game name five hockey players to Catherine uh, yesterday. Yeah. Oh, no, Friday. And uh, I won't completely say how that went, but it was not good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Sebastian Ajo counted for two, though, so I will give her that. Uh, Philip Gastineau says Tampa's in a weird spot where they need to get under the cap but can't take back roster players and don't have any terrible contracts to trade. Trading Johnson or Kalorn along with a first or a second feels bad as well. What are your thoughts on dumping point for a plethora of picks? Get some out of their cap situation without losing assets and restocks their cupboards. What would you trade to get point knowing that it will relieve Tampa of their cap situation? My answer is I don't think they move point. You don't move a star center like that. You could argue he's their best player, which is really saying something. I think the only three players they're not going to move, four players, is Point, Kucherov, Hedman, and Vasilevsky. I think everybody else is on the table, right up to including Stamkos. Uh, I think given that Johnson already went through waivers, he's going to be the prime candidate. Now, depending what happens with some of their other free agents, they might have to move more than that. Um, McDonough would make sense to move just because he's a little older as well. So not a lot of people talk about him as a candidate to free up some cap space, but he could be one. It'll probably have to be multiple pieces. And yeah, they tried giving up Tyler Johnson for nothing last year, put him on waivers. Nobody claimed him. So despite him being a good player on not a horrible contract, it's not a good contract, but not a horrible contract. It's still going to take a sweetener to get him off the books. And With a flat cap, teams have learned their lessons and they are not about to throw a a life raft to a team that's ahead of them in the standings. Uh, Lars, the prophet of the towering behemoth, says the Islanders are so boring to watch. Hockey hipsters claiming otherwise be damned. We'll watch the Isles and Habs play for the cup shortly. ESPN and TNT will cancel all deals if that happens. Uh Canceler of podcasts from down under says good day dud duds once again we're in a draft spot where there is a choice and opinion divided I'd like to see an episode where the day before we patrons give you how the top five pans out and you each have to write down who you take without any group think submit it to me then argue on air but proper argue don't cave because cop guy won't stop talking golf guy this means you have to say something other than huh what was the question or what else is there to say all right this is very real and i just got to say i wasn't prepared for the, the very honest attack here so rowan thank you for that um, i actually love this idea like that's, that's a, a fantastic really good idea. idea let's actually I do like do that. that a lot yeah yeah 
Uh, we also that- have another idea in the works that's going to be something similar, but in a very different context. But I do like this a lot. Now that the Isles are up one nothing in the Stanley Cup semifinal, weird to say that, by the way, uh, I need someone to fact check this. So please ask Steve Dangle. Am I correct in remembering that John Tavares left the Islanders, a team with back-to-back conference finals appearances, by choice to join perennial chokers, the 1967s, who haven't won a playoff round in, what, 17 years? Christ, where the heck were the NHL concussion spotters when that was going on? Uh, also couldn't help but notice that Vasilevsky gave up two goals today while uh, Will's Kyle Quincy didn't give up any. Maybe that trade wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> God. Jersey yeah, time. but in, T- in Tavares' defense, his current team now does match his pajamas. And you can't beat that pajamas. Uh, Jersey time, pretty obvious. German Lidstrom will wear 53, but can you predict what number the following prospects will wear? Raymond should be easy. Albert Johansson and Johnny Berger run. Go. Uh, Raymond, I've seen him wear 18 and 26, but I've seen him wear 18 more. So that's going to be my guess. Bergeron's easy. I've only ever seen him wear 48. I'm pretty sure. So we'll just run with that. Johansson's the interesting one because I've seen him wear a few numbers. I think the most recent one I seen him wearing was 33. Uh, so I don't know if Draper will let him do that <laughs> given that he's still in the organization. So I'll say 33 or 23. Yeah, I, I just looked it up. He is 33. Yeah, I, I imagine 18. I think 48 is a great number. I think that's a really cool number. Uh, I have no idea why. Uh, Vax Waxed and actually Adrian Dater says, uh, prick guy, cop guy, and sometimes Shea Weber, you know that I know you're gamers and uh, all this, and uh, you know I'm just thinking out loud as far as in your in your shoes right now, and it's like, all right, we've done all we can do, we've done all the podcast planning we can do, maybe, maybe, you know, just fuck it, we'll just go in next year and just not think anymore, and just record this thing when we don't think so much. Is that good? Am I on the right path with all this? Like, maybe you guys are thinking too much. Are you sharing whatever you're having? Because I'm interested. Brad, did you not see this? No. The, oh my goodness. I am. Yeah. I like, I assume it has something to do with Dater, hence the name. And I know Adrian Dater in general is. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I don't know specifically what this is referencing. This is the. <laughs> oh, I'm going to send it to you right now. Mute yourself and legit watch this right now. This was I the. I am so uh, excited. This was the post game uh, press or the post series press conference. And this was a question that Nathan McKinnon got from Adrian Dater. And you can understand how it went on Twitter. So I just DM'd it to you. I'm going to keep going here. Uh, Jake Jarvis has a great job on the Ken Daniels interview. I loved it. Would have loved to get his take on the shitty Valley Sports Detroit scoreboard if he's privy to any plans to change it for next season. Maybe the next time we'll ask him about that. Uh, time for some Reddit questions. Uh, RG6EX says it's pretty obvious that Evan has to introduce himself as Shea Weber from now on, right? Can't go against the uh, great Ken Daniels. Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed, Evan, that you didn't open with, and I'm Shea. I don't know what to do anymore. Do I break tradition or go with some new meta name? I don't know. I think Ken dictated it. I think Brad just just heard the interview question. Are you good, buddy? <laughs> Holy shit, McKinnon's reaction <laughs> was all of us. McKinnon? No. What? Wow. <laughs> um, 
CJ Martini says, is there any way you guys can explain how Tampa got around the cap? I know someone was on IR, but how can they be 12 million above for the playoffs with like a quick and dirty explanation? Uh, the quick and dirty explanation is the cap does not count for the playoffs. They had that person on IR for the entire regular season, uh, and they brought them back for the first game of the playoffs. They more or less intentionally timed it so that was their return, so they didn't have to worry about the salary cap. Um, and it's a move that's been used before. This was one of the more egregious examples. Chicago's done it before, um, I think multiple times with both Kane and Keith in the past. It's a loophole, and teams are going to keep exploiting it. Um, HZ40 says, what do you think the plan is with Fabry? I love him, but he's a UFA in one year, and I'm not too sure what Stevie's thoughts are on these 24 to 26-year-olds other than our captain. I don't think there is a bona fide plan with Fabry. I think he's a good player who makes a good impact on this team. I'm not going to say he's unmovable because if someone comes in with a, you know, uh, a Mantha Verana level deal, you, you move him for that price, but you don't try to sell him for nothing, right? So I think it's up in the air. Yeah, he his age suggests that and his pending UFA status that if a contender's willing to pay a first round pick for him at the deadline, you move him. I love Robbie Fabry. Um but I don't know, there's two sides to this argument. There's the there's a good chance he will command some really good value at the deadline and you can't ignore that. Um but there's also the You still need guys on the other side of this rebuild. There are guys that are going to play during the rebuild and after, and this won't be a 100% brand new team. So is he a candidate to keep around to be the quote-unquote veteran presence when this team is young and getting good? Absolutely, he's a candidate for that. But at the same time, if, you know, Minnesota, hey, we're not scoring enough goals, Uh, here's a first-round pick, please help us, you have to do that like you have to would i move fabry straight up for a second round pick probably but that's where the debate comes in of where do we get more value and i'm just gonna answer one more here because i think this is a question i've seen in different shapes and forms over the last little while uh from meshu gojira says do you think edmonton will give up their first and or broberg in a trade for neil's contract i think I think I can understand why that might be on the board for some people, but I think after Ken Holland saw the thumping that this team got, he will not be interested in mortgaging high-end assets like that. He'd rather pick the players or use it to bring in an impactful player right now. So I don't necessarily think so. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We will be back with you midweek um, with a hopefully a fun-themed episode for you, um, one that we've been meaning to get to for a little while. We'd like to thank everyone who listened, um, all our new listeners after the Ken Daniels episode. uh, Welcome to to the show. Um, And thank you so much for all of our returning listeners for supporting us. Uh, Our name-level Patreon supporters, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam a Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greach, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, uh, Brendan's fun name with this crypto coins he's trying to get me the same say scott martin stacy lynn uh zach spring or andrew bohan sam bankson adam i wish i could finish like ernie another former junior goalie turned golfer antonio gracias colorado 14ers 
Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Oh Yeah Daddy, As Good As It Gets, Reed, Stan Olson, Trevor Pevivar, Vaxed, Waxed, and actually Adrian Dater. Um, that's all. Thank you so much. And by the way, Stacy, also welcome to Name Level Sponsors. We'll see you guys. Maybe. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town. Evan.